This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified profiting from your passions coach, Kate Fessler. Welcome to Change Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and today my guest is Maria Fuller. Maria helps empower parents to foster independence, leadership, and a strong sense of personal identity in their daughters so that they can change the world. She has a BS in health science with a minor in emergency and disaster management and a concentration in women's studies. Maria worked as a critical care paramedic for years until a permanent injury on the job caused her to change her career direction. Through that experience, she learned about the importance of independence, leadership, and personal identity, which are the foundations of her work. Maria is a mom to two little girls, and she has spent nearly a decade working with women of all ages to help shed unhealthy beliefs and break down stereotypes surrounding pregnancy, motherhood, body image, self-esteem, parenting, women in leadership, and much more. Welcome, Maria. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. You have a minor in emergency and disaster management. With all the storms recently, that is top of mind for a lot of people. What drew yeah. you to study that? Um, you know, uh, when I was studying uh, and getting my bachelor's in health science, I knew I wanted to go into medicine. So I actually became a paramedic. And part of that was the emergency and disaster management. And this was post 9-11. It was probably... Gosh, I think one or two years after 9-11 had happened that I was in school and this was offered and it was kind of the the big news out there and the, the buzzwords, you know, learning, um, you know, what FEMA did and um, being able to go into situations of crisis and being able to lead teams to get people the resources that they needed, whether it was medical care or what's going on with recent hurricanes and stuff, uh, supplies for people and so forth. And it was a really interesting part of my education. I learned way more than I wanted to know. It made things kind of scary, especially having been post 9-11, but uh, really powerful information and education. Wow, I'll bet. So any advice that you can give to people from lessons learned about uh, the recovery effort from the hurricanes? Well, I think one big thing is to really listen to officials. For the most part, I find that most officials are trying to make decisions that are in the best interest of the people. Uh, keeping a sense of calmness about you and not panicking. Social media is really a blessing and a curse in so many ways these days because I feel like it escalates the energy of a lot of people where it leads them to more of this feeling of crisis and emergency where things work much better and people think much more clearly when they come from a place of more calmness 
and they're able to make decisions better. So really listening to, you know, authority and, and what they're recommending you do, take a couple of deep breaths and make some really good decisions for your family. We can always replace things. We can't replace people. Um, and the next coming weeks are going to be really difficult. So whatever you can do to, to help someone else, if you're in one of the affected areas, you know, uh, getting together with others and helping each other rebuild is a really good thing. And if you're in an area that hasn't been affected, doing what you can to support those communities is really, really critical right now. Excellent. Yeah. You worked as a critical care paramedic. That must be tough emotionally and physically. What was that like for you? Yeah, so it's interesting because I always loved medicine, but from a really early age, I was always very independent. So I found being a paramedic was uh, fulfilling to me because I was able to work in medicine, which I loved, but it was also a very independent uh, work environment because typically I would come into situations and while I did work oftentimes with other teams, nurses, respiratory therapists, sometimes physicians, a lot of the work I did was solo. And my specialty was a little bit different than your typical 911 paramedic. I actually worked for a major level one trauma center out on Long Island. And my job was actually to go to the smaller hospitals that didn't have the facilities or the resources that were needed to take care of critical patients. So if they were multi-level traumas or preterm possible deliveries or anything like that, I would come in and try to stabilize the patient as much as possible and then transport them to my facility, whether it was in an ambulance or sometimes actual helicopter transport. So it was really exciting work. Uh, I learned to be able to work in a really high energy um, and intensity situations and be able to really focus on what I was doing. But emotionally, it was very draining work because a lot of times the patients that we were transferring were very, very ill and their rate of survival was actually very low. So it it really took a toll on me emotionally uh, during those years. Yeah, what do you do with that? So how do you mitigate those effects? You know, for me, it was really hard, and I don't know that I handled it the best that I should have. I feel like the environment that I was working in, it was funny because it was a very male-dominated field. There were very few women that worked as paramedics, and I think this is part of the problem is that men and women handle these situations and the emotions behind it very differently. And while many men don't really want to go into a debriefing situation after a call and sit and talk about how they're feeling after a, you know, a certain case that was difficult and verbally talk about the emotions. For me, that's something that really would have been beneficial and I didn't have access to it. And, you know, part of that I think is a result of them not really looking at what the female population of personnel really needed compared to the men. So I was lucky enough that um, my boyfriend at the time, who is my husband now, was an incredible sense of, of support for me. So I was able to go home and really just being able to retell the story of my day and uh, being able to verbalize out loud what I did and kind of go back and replay everything that I had did and realize that I did the best that I could. But some situations you just can't control was really helpful. And knowing that, 
you know, I believe in the power of the universe and that everything that I learned and every single call that I went on, I always learned a lesson from it. And if the patient happened to pass, I would always, you know, send out my heart and love and thank them for, you know, the gift that they gave me in learning what I did learn during the experience. And so I tried to find the the beauty and the blessings, even in those dark moments. Mm, yeah, that's wonderful. You changed your life direction after a permanent injury on the job. What happened? Yeah, so, you know, it's funny how life works. And uh, for years, I was so angry <laughs> that the accident happened. And now I realize it was to serve a bigger purpose. But uh, I was transporting a really critical patient. And typically, with the seriousness of the patient that we had, we would take a multi uh, unit team with us. But I was in the area of the hospital where they were at, needing to be transported to a New York City hospital. We didn't have time to wait to gather a team together to transport the patient. So I took it on myself to, to take the patient uh, with my partner down into New York City. And it was a, a dark and stormy night with really uh, bad rains. And some I was standing up to draw a medication because my patient was intubated. So they had a breathing tube and they were sedated, which we were doing by medication and on uh, many different medications. And I was drawing the medication to sedate them more because they were starting to wake up and somebody cut the ambulance off while we were going lights and sirens. And I fell and I dislocated my shoulder. And at that point I had a choice to make. And my choice was either I could get medical care for myself and take care of myself, but that would leave my patient most likely to die because it would take too long to get someone else from my hospital to the patient to be able to continue the transport and local paramedics would not have the certifications and level of training that I had to continue with the patient. Or I could put my care last and continue with the transport. And I tried the best I could to get my shoulder back into place. And I slung, put my arm in a sling and we continued with the transport. And I finished the transport and by the time I got back to my hospital, it was six hours after the injury and my shoulder was not back in place, unfortunately. So they had to sedate me and put my shoulder back in. And I did permanent nerve damage to one of the major nerves in my arm and uh, caused some major injuries to that side of my body. Wow. So what, what's the effect? So you weren't able to use that arm anymore or... Yeah, so I have numbness and tingling in two of my fingers on the left side of my body, and I can't lift more than two to three pounds, so I couldn't even hold my babies on that side of the arm. And I did have some, for a good 18 months, mobility issues where I literally couldn't move my arms in certain ways. And years of physical therapy have given me the range of motion almost back to completely normal. I still have some pain, but it's more the strength. And being a paramedic was a very physical job. We had to be able to carry uh, close to 100 pounds of equipment and lift patients and move them. And not having the ability of using that arm really hindered what I did. And at the same time, it was a really big eye-opener to me I knew I wanted to become a mom someday, and I realized that while I loved the career that I was in, it was a dangerous career, and I had to make a choice if, if that's something I wanted to continue to do while I was being a mom. 
And to me, I felt like it was selfish to bring children into the world and be working in a job where, you know, accidents happen, some really major things could happen. And I didn't think it was a really good choice for me after that. Mm. So that was the universe presenting you with options. Exactly. I didn't see it then that way, (laughs) but that was a really, it was a turning point for me. And, um, you know, now I can look back and see things as what a blessing. And when things happen these days now where I'm like, hmm, this is not really how I wanted to things to go. I always remember that my entire journey has been one big blessing after another. I just need to choose to see that. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because bad things happen, right? Or things that we perceive as bad. And how we react to them really determines how they influence the the rest of our lives in some cases. And you can reframe it as this was a, a great turning point for me, even though at the time it seemed like a bad thing. Uh, the blessing that came out of it, uh, you know, makes me see that, in fact, it was a good thing for me. Yes, absolutely. That experience taught you about the importance of independence, leadership, and personal identity. How so? Well, I think I didn't actually realize how much being a paramedic actually taught me until I kind of started looking back. And something that I don't really talk about, and I actually haven't really shared until recently, is my first three jobs as a paramedic, I was fired. Um, And I was fired because I did my job really well, and I documented too closely, or I took too many notes, or I gave too much information. And basically, when I would go in and I would either grab a patient from another hospital and I would document exactly what I saw or what was being done, I was catching a lot of mistakes and errors. Or I was going into nursing homes and picking up patients and and reporting things that were markedly uh, signs of neglect or not, not necessarily abuse, but care that wasn't being provided as well. And what I realized was that even though I was in this field as a healthcare worker, Uh, doing my job to take care of patients, it was still a business. And I had a really hard time with it at first. I got so upset when, you know, I would be told, well, you have a choice. Your choice is to either stop documenting so closely uh, or you're going to have to leave. And I chose to leave every single time, time and time again. And what I realize now looking back on that is that I had such a strong sense of personal identity and my personal morals and values that it made it really easy for me in a way to make decisions that were really good for me. And I realized how important that was. And the leadership and independence really rang through at, you know, working as a paramedic, you know, being independent as in taking patients on one-on-one case and being in these situations where you basically held someone's life in your hands. And it was really up to me to make the best decision for my patient based on my training and knowledge and intuition to save them. And that was very independent work, right? Not being able to sometimes even rely on someone else to run a piece of information by them. And then leadership, you know, coming into hospitals with staff that 
are frantically working on a patient who's extremely critical and being able to come in. And what I did really well was command a presence of leadership that was authoritative, but still was not one that was overpowering, but that was still very compassionate. And being able to lead a team very quickly was really important. And I realized how important those three values were for me and how I got all of that while working as a paramedic. Fascinating. So we've got to take a short break, but when we come back, Raising a Powerful Girl. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. Welcome back. You are listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm Kate Fessler, and my guest today is Maria Fuller. Maria, you have two daughters. You've said that you believe each one of them was sent to you to remind you of a piece of yourself that you've lost or not loved during your journey. Tell me about that. So it's funny um, that you bring that up. So my oldest daughter is Alexa. And, you know, being a paramedic and the emotional toll that it took on me, and we talked about that earlier, what happened is it actually caused me to shut down in many ways. I met my husband when I was 18 years old, so we pretty much spent our life together. And I remember, oh gosh, maybe when I was pregnant with her, where he looked at me and said, you know, you're not the same person that you were anymore. You're kind of cold. And it kind of hit me in the face. And I was like, wow, I, I can't believe you said that. And I realized, you know, what had happened is, is when you're put in these situations that you're seeing life and death and, and some really tough things, I started to shut down to a lot of my emotions in a lot of ways, even from joy, where you wouldn't see the joy in my face in, in many ways. And Alexa was sent to me to bring my emotions back. And when I say bring my emotions back, it actually started out with some really heavy emotions. Um, I had a very hard pregnancy with her and I had a really long labor and she had a few medical issues. And again, there's my blessing in disguise, having had a medical background and medical training. It really aided me in being a good parent to her and getting through our journey. But she taught me to let go of uh, control and to let my guard down and to feel the emotion again. And for me, it came out as, as sadness for a very long time with her. And I did a lot of crying. And then as she grew and, you know, we kind of went through our challenges, I learned to start seeing 
um, the joy in the world and watching her do things. And it brought me out of this really hard shell that I had, and it kind of made me really mushy um, for a while. And, and I think I still had a lot of sadness in me. And it took us a while to decide to have another child because my experience was so difficult. But I felt compelled um, finally when she was around, you know, three and a half, four years old, and I really wanted to have, you know, another child. And so we were blessed with Aria. And Aria is the child that was brought to me because she is everything that I embody, I know in my heart and my soul, um, and I see it every day in her. So she is this spirited child who taught me to love motherhood because I didn't think I could love motherhood because of how difficult it was for me. And she taught me and is teaching me today every single day what it is to really be authentic, what it is to really have a strong sense of personal identity, what it's like to be a leader, what it's like to be really independent and have this love of life where she has when she's excited, the entire room will feel the excitement. And when she's angry, the entire room will, will feel the anger as well, right? But it's it's these things that I'm trying to go back to and trying to, um, you know, rekindle in myself again. I see so much of myself, my younger self in my girls. And it really um, is amazing to watch them grow up and watch myself change and evolve and kind of rekindle those pieces of me again. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, you know, they say, some people say that uh, as children, as souls coming into the world, we choose our family. And I wonder if they chose you because that's what you needed. You know, that's really funny. So my my Alexa um, has always been a very gifted and very spiritual in a way little girl. And I remember when she was three years old, we were having a conversation and something about that came up. And she said, I remember, I remember being up there. And I remember, I remember Aria was with me and we were up top, up top. And, and she's trying to use this language and because we didn't really talk about, you know, God or heaven or anything like that. We were more of a universally spiritual family. And she said, and I remember picking you and daddy. And that's where I decided I was going to go. So when she said oh. that, my jaw kind of dropped and I was like, huh. And, you know, she had said that there was someone else up there with her. And, and now looking back at it, you know, when she was three and I was like, I'm never having babies anymore. <laughs> you know, I didn't yeah. really think of it. I thought it was another family member. But, you know, when her sister did come, she said, I remember being with her. And, and so it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, when, when they're so little and they say things like that, but I really do, I do think they picked us and I, you know, um, for a reason and, you know, there, there are life lessons. Both my husband and I are learning from both of our girls. It's really, really amazing to watch. Mm. Your children know the lyrics to fight song. <laughs> yes, they do. So we don't listen to rapping in the car. It's so funny. I was pulling up to school this morning and I was in my husband's car and he's got the nice sporty car, right? So I wasn't in mom mobile mode. And uh, we do valley drop off in the back and, and the, the car door opens and we were listening to actual fight song this morning. And the headmaster standing there and he's like, I heard the music when you pulled into the driveway. <laughs> and they are just belting out the lyrics to fight song. And he's like, I love it. And I was like, well, we've got to get pumped in the morning and get ready, 
you know, for school and that's kind of our routine, we actually have a playlist of really empowering songs. And, you know, there's a little Disney in there with some of the Moana songs um, that are in there. And, you know, I think music's such an incredible thing for children because it's such a, an expressive way to, um, you know, show emotion. And for them, I want them to be listening to music that's empowering. And they sing that song with every beat of their heart. They belt it out. And it, it makes me happy, right? Because it talks about like a journey and, you know, being this little drop um, in an ocean and how one thought, one person, one action can actually cause this, you know, huge trickle of waves. And that's how I want them to think about who they are in their life, that they have the power to make great change just because they're one person or because they're small doesn't mean that they're insignificant. Absolutely. And it is so important, even if, even if they don't yet understand what it all means to have that sort of ingrained in them. You know, I grew up on those Disney movies with, I might get in trouble for naming their company, but because um, I'm going to diss them right now uh, <laughs> with, the, you know, the princess being rescued by the prince. And, you know, it's like, oh, your life is awful until this man comes into your life and rescues you. Right. And that that was the perception, you know, it was a, I told my mom, I remember and she laughed. I said, that's like a subtle form of child abuse. Like you're ingraining into these children, these little girls that they need a man in order to have a good life. Yeah. And for a lot of reasons, um, we don't do a lot of those movies. I mean, we don't do a lot of television in our house. And recently I finally caved because everyone was like, you need to see Moana. You need to see Moana. And I sat through that movie and I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's days when I drop them off from school and we're listening to Moana soundtrack and I'll keep it on. And there are some songs in there that speak to my heart in a way that um, are really incredible. And I think that's, I think they're starting to catch on as well. And I'm actually really proud of them for, you know, making this realization that that's not the message we want to be sending to girls anymore, that we want to be sending them this message that they don't need anybody to save them. And and she's such, Moana is such a perfect example of this girl that has this strong sense of, of personal identity and she's a leader and she's so independent and she has this courageous spirit and charisma about her. And she just goes out and she feels like she needs to do something and she faces all these challenges and adversity and goes against her family and does this incredible thing. And those are the stories I want, you know, my girls to watch. And those are the songs I want them to hear and I want them to sing. And it's about, you know, listening to the the voice that whispers, you know, in your ear and, and following your gut and following your heart. And they don't need saving, um, they don't need to be saved. And if they do need to be saved, they can do it themselves. They don't have to rely on someone else to do it. I love it. I'm glad. Times are changing and the messages are changing. And I think it's having a big effect. On yeah. How people, how girls especially feel about themselves and what's possible for them. Definitely. Speaking of which, you started something called Raising a Powerful Girl. What inspired you? So for the last eight years, I actually worked uh, with uh, women, uh, mothers, and uh, primarily preteen and teenage girls um, on body image and empowerment projects. And I did a lot of work through photography, through visual imagery. And while it was incredibly rewarding, 
in the work that I did, it became actually very frustrating for me because I would have these moms contact me and tell me these stories of their daughters and how amazing they were, but uh, they had body image issues or they didn't have confidence in themselves or they weren't strong enough in who they were and they didn't know who that was. And so they would come to me and, and we would you know, create this amazing session based on their extracurriculars, whether they were a dancer or an equestrian or a gymnast and, you know, photograph them doing what they love. And that was, you know, to show their, you know, their identity and, you know, their independence. But what would happen is they would come in to then view the images. And I would tell you nine out of 10 times, the mom would make a comment when they were looking at pictures that right there destroyed all the work that we had worked on. And I don't think they realized that impact of what it was they were saying and the way they were saying things or pointing out certain things was actually very damaging behavior. And I wasn't in a position with what I was doing to be able to call them out on that behavior because that's, you know, that's not why we were there. And I started getting actually really depressed about it. And I realized how important it is from an early age to do things a certain way to raise a powerful girl, because I really truly believe that the change that we need to see in the world is going to come from women. And, you know, I might get some booers and some haters, but I really think that women are able to look at things from a different perspective. And we have this compassion and, and energy and a different way of thinking that's really needed in this world. But what's happening is that we're not raising girls in a way that is empowering them. And it's, it can be simply from the language that you're using or not allowing them to make choices. And what I've found with my own girls, and I'm a firm believer in Montessori philosophy and Montessori education, it helps a lot, especially in the younger years, that the more freedom you actually give your child, the easier parenting becomes. And when I say giving them freedom, it means allowing them to make choices, but with boundaries that you have set up that you know, align with your own family morals and values. And I've seen this being done in Montessori school, and I've done this in my own home. And I spent a lot of time, you know, talking with moms because they would always open up on, you know, an issue they were having with their daughter. And I would, you know, just give them a way of thinking of something differently. And I realized that there isn't a lot of education out there in one area on what it looks like to raise a powerful girl. And I really think that that's something that we need to do. And so that's something that I'm working on right now on creating an entire platform of education, because I believe that when we know better, we do better. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that is goes back to what I was saying about the Disney movies. I mean, it's it's this sort of impression that starts at a very, very early age of what is okay and what isn't okay and and what's good about you and what you know the whole self-esteem issue is a big deal and i also agree that i I do think the evolution of the planet is dependent on a more female perspective because um I, i think we just can't survive very much longer with the aggressive male uh uh perspective of you know, the chest beating. And I just read something about, you know, North Korea now wants to sink Japan. And and it's just, it's like, what is going on with these schoolyard bullies, right? 
Um, so yeah, it would be wonderful if, uh, if we could change the consciousness around the feminine perspective. And that sounds like an incredibly worthwhile thing that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny because at the same time when we're educating a parent on how to do things differently, what's going to happen for many women um, that are parents that are watching this is they're going to start doing things differently for themselves. And that's a big part of it, right, is modeling behavior because the first three years, um, a child does the majority of their learning from behavior modeling. So they're watching their mother or these female caretakers in their presence and their every move, the way they look at themselves when they're putting on clothes. And if you're, you know, making a frowny face because your jeans are a little bit snug, or if you say the word, this doesn't fit, or I don't look good in this or you know god forbid you say i'm fat like that's that word's not allowed in my house um mm -hmm. or you know this concept of of putting so much emphasis on visual appearance right if a child if a child doesn't see a mom putting a lot of emphasis on her visual appearance in terms of like being very conscious of does this look good or doesn't this look good? I'm not talking about neglecting yourself. Then that child isn't going to grow up with this crazy idea or over awareness of what they look like. They're going to see their you know parent or or their caregiver talking more about this is who I am, this is who I believe, this is what I love, and focusing on that. And the child then learns to focus on you know what's in within them, and they start shifting their thinking. and And that's what we're talking about: shifting the perception and 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 moving away from all these visuals, which cause a lot of damage and a lot of harm, and focusing on what's really inside of people and who they are and allowing them to develop that. And then we start creating leaders and girls who know who they are and have this strong moral compass. And they're so firm on what they believe, but they're compassionate and they're independent and they can be incredible leaders. Um, and that's really what we need to do, but it starts from the very beginning. Yeah. And it, and what you said just a minute ago about, how they, as they work on it with their children, they work on it with themselves. Because as you maybe point out to them or educate them about some of the things that they're doing that I'm sure they're not even aware of because they're just modeling behavior too um, that they were raised with. But as they become aware of that, they start to become aware of, wow, these are some of the things that are probably impeding my happiness as well and my you know stepping into who I'm supposed to be is these things that I don't even know that I'm teaching my child that I didn't even know were taught to me that maybe I should think about differently right yeah and I and you know it's a learning process for myself right because as I'm teaching this I'm learning it and I'm you know trying to work through my own um you know, issues that I've had from it. And it's really, it's about breaking a cycle and then creating a new, um, a new method of doing things. But there is definitely a cycle that what we've learned, whether it's based off of culture or, you know, tradition, or this is how things have been done. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we need to start breaking uh, to allow these girls to look at themselves and look at the world a little bit differently. Awesome. I was just thinking that same thing, breaking the cycle, lots of cycles that need to be broken. Yes. So how can people find out more about your work? So they can go to raisingapowerfulgirl.com. 
I am also going to be launching a podcast series at beginning of October and my new education and community platform is actually going to be launching mid-October. I'm also on Facebook and you can find me on there and uh, I look forward to connecting with people and, you know, connecting with others also that are hoping to go out there and make a change because it's not going to be just me and, and it can't just come from one place, but it's really about creating this movement on really empowering girls and hopefully we can break so many cycles that need to be broken and start to turn things around a little bit. Brilliant. Maria Fuller, raisingapowerfulgirl.com. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. I really enjoyed being here. You may have noticed I forgot to ask her about a book or resource that changed her life. We had a few distractions during our interview. I asked her by email and her recommendation is The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John D. Mann. Quoting Maria, it's an incredibly powerful short story on the power of giving in business and how to shift to a place of giving and serving others and how it will make your business soar and help you live a more fulfilled life. On my website, firstclasslifesolutions.com, you can find recommendations of my guests and links to previous podcasts too. If you have something to add to the conversation, please leave a comment on the show page or on my Facebook page, First Class Life Solutions. If you'd like to be a guest on my podcast, please click on the link at the bottom of the show page and fill out the survey, and I'll be in touch. Next week, my guest will be Ro Couture DeSaro. Ro's business was next to the World Trade Center in New York City, and she was there the day the planes flew into the buildings, which ultimately collapsed in the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil. She learned a lot about herself that day, but it wasn't until years later that she really understood that and allowed herself to redefine what success meant to her and what direction she wanted her life to take. She ultimately became a coach. With her business, Gutsy Gals Get More, she teaches women how to go deep into self-discovery for their own life transformation without having to experience such a traumatic event and to become a gutsy gal with a heart. A strong, powerful woman building your business in your own unique brilliance. I hope you'll join us. In the meantime, here's to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at EWNPodcastNetwork.com.